Hello and welcome to the News Pace Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Vedmore, and I'm going to be speaking to a very interesting man today who's strumming an imaginary guitar at the moment, Jay Fratt, who's, uh, you can find a conservative hippie podcast, which is conservativehippie.com, and he's currently on a really exciting adventure, and I really mean a very exciting adventure, the type of thing that um, not many people get the opportunity to do, and when they do, it's usually just distorted by a massive system and a, a, a behemoth political structure around it. Uh, I mean this because we're talking about he's the uh, campaign manager um, for Eric John Berner, who's running for president. Um, I believe, uh, is he running in Iowa? We've, uh, we've toured Iowa. We're headed to South Carolina uh, this next, actually this week in a couple days. Um, and then New Hampshire, and then Nevada. So yeah, presidential campaign across the United States. All of the way. You're going all of the way for the USA. So tell me a little bit about what's going on, Jay. I'm really excited about this. I got, I've got a couple of questions about, uh, about this setup. Uh, one or two of them may be hard, Jay. Maybe hard because I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm gonna be tough on you because uh, I know you can take it. I'm ready. I'm ready. We have so much to talk about. Sometimes, uh, uh, basically, when I meditated, gosh, I think it's a couple of years ago now, and and I told the universe uh, that uh, that I was ready and I was willing and we could do it all. It's just been a just a whirlwind ride that I've been on, following the universal flow and um, going along the way, because because clearly something was wrong um, not just in i'm very united states centric and but not just the united states but across the world you know and i felt like i couldn't live in that world anymore unless i injected myself in it i i had built i had lived the american dream i had built an island for myself with my business and i had raised a family and really was separate even though i'm living in the united states i'm living in washington i'm very happy at I built an island basically for myself and, and I realized that um, that was no longer possible, that I had to volunteer in some way. I had to get to the bottom of what was going on because uh, the world needs highly capable people to step up and to get involved in this time. And then that just led one thing to another, stumbling over myself, as you know, in a naive way. Um, just trying with positive intentions to inject myself into different groups and um, learn about the different structures and layers to our uh, systems and controls uh, until eventually it, it spat me out and uh, Eric John Berner found me and said that I, had, uh, I was the prize winner, I was the finalist, and would I be interested in uh, managing his campaign? And I went and met the gentleman. Um, of course, you know, you think, oh, okay, what's this? I'm, I'm just Jay Fratt. I've got a small podcast and uh, I'm a researcher. And, and uh, uh, he was the real deal. And uh, I could tell right away, part of my talents is human intel. So I like to meet people. I, uh, not like you where you're just, I don't know how you find the things you do, Johnny, and the, the talents that you have digging into the wires of the internet. And probably you visited a basement or two in a library. Mine is more uh, human intelligence. I, I enjoy getting a hold of people, and there's so much I can, you can glean off of somebody, reading their mannerisms, their tones, the things they say. 
making sure that they're consistent. That's the big, the big thing is over the course of time, um, consistency matters greatly. Uh, so anyways, he, he was a legitimate person. He had legitimate experience. He pulled out evidence to back up the, the, the claims he was making. And, uh, I said, well, yeah, this makes sense. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't make sense in so many ways, but the way that my life had gone over that past year and the progressions and the, um, journey that I had taken, it made sense to me. And I said, let's, let's go, let's do this. And, from day one, it was figuring out how we were going to do this. Yeah, isn't it amazing how once you let yourself go to some sort of karmic wave, everything just keeps going and keeps moving forward. As long as you keep doing good things, or at least what you feel you're meant to be doing, which is a scary prospect because some people feel they're meant to be doing terrible, awful things. So maybe they work upon the same karmic principle, if you think of that. If uh, mm -hmm. karma works on both sides and uh, evil does the same as good in a sense, um, it's just our intentions and our own view of each other that that differentiates the two um but as soon as you let yourself go to the universe the universe seems to supply you with a direction um now is that direction the right direction who knows who knows the universe is a, a very um sexy lady now i i do a lot of research in the 40s and 50s um i look at the rise of uh, post this new world order created by this new technology, the atomic bomb, and how all of the structures just suddenly appeared, the like intelligence structures, etc., like uh, the CIA and other things came to fruition there. And all of these um, organizations they put out to change the idea of what America was. And during that time, they believed, like a lot of people all around the world, a lot of folk who lived in other countries, saw America as this big behemoth, slobbish-like, uncultured creature that was trying to impose its will. And now they were competing, the Americans were competing in that sense with the Soviets, and the Soviets could offer, you know, just loads of culture on top of things you know really a cultured society and a long history and uh and and you know an intriguing future vision for the future and all this so so that battle started to rage and there was an attempt by the uh, intelligence services of course to change the hearts and minds and the way people around the world viewed America and Americans and their um, infiltration of their governments. They, that's what they did. They, they infiltrated their government to keep control of those people. Um, and they still used the techniques. Now, I get a feeling from listening to Eric John Berner's campaign and what you've been talking about, some of the things he said, that you're, he's trying to rewrite this idea of what American looks like by actually introducing some form of differentiating foreign policy, differentiated by the foreign policy of the past, you know, different to the foreign policy of the past. Um, what does that look like? Okay, there was, a, there was a lot there. First off, I can't speak for him, uh, but I am a volunteer and I can absolutely speak for myself and I'm very much a part of this campaign. Um, so I won't, I won't put words in his mouth. Yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah. fully capable of speaking himself. I can all, but I can speak to what he said because when he says something, he means it and, and generally sticks to it. And, and it's clear. 
I disagree a little bit with the way you framed America. I think that we have a ton of culture, but but it's time. I don't. I don't belief... necessarily think that America's uncultured. I think that was the vision of America around the world, the the prevailing vision yes. in the forties okay. and fifties. Not necessarily my view, but the view of other people. And, and we can be that way, absolutely. But this, um, let's let's just go back to recent history with this project for a new American century. Okay, uh, they used nine um, eleven uh, to go into Iraq, um, Afghanistan. Um, it created this culture within the State Department of uh, regime change, um, using psychological uh, uh, warfare, using um, infiltration, as you put it, um, to basically try to set up the board the way that these hidden hands within the State Department wanted it to be set up that way. And that's, that's boomeranged against the American public. And one of the reasons I'm, I feel so strongly about what I'm doing is um, at some point, a lot of people, Americans, when we talk, we talk about the government being separate from ourselves. And I got to the point uh, with personal responsibility as a tenant of my belief system and the party, the Republican Party, libertarianism roots, that I could no longer say they, oh, that's the government. We, the people, don't necessarily believe that. No, that's my voice. That's been done in my name, and so therefore I need to represent my name the best that I can and get involved. What Eric John Berner is talking about is diplomacy, the way that diplomacy is meant to be, where you have diplomats, diplomats that are not stoking and fanning the flames, but they're trying to put a wet blanket over uh, flames. They're trying to um, – what. What the American people want in my, in my belief system and, and, and what we've gone, gotten away from is all this manipulation. Um, and and to, the, to the topic that you speak about and you research so much, sovereignty. You know, um, the left and the right used to agree upon sovereignty and somehow sovereignty has become under attack. Well, sovereignty is a two-way street. You have to respect the sovereignty of other nations, and you, in return, expect a respect of sovereignty yourself as a nation. So that's the impetus of what, what he believes, in my opinion, um, this diplomatic effort could be. For example, Trump has said it, uh, Eric John Berner, I believe, has said it, this Ukraine-Russia war, it could be ended in a week through strong diplomacy, but there are some hidden hands that don't mm -hmm. want that thing ended. Yes, yes, yes. Now, um, talking of that area of the world, the Eastern European area, from 1989, as we've had color revolutions uh, go, there's been an increase, of course, in the NGOs. So that hidden hand, I really do believe, is is what what you know the the, the fingers of the the NGOs, the many NGOs. They have many fingers. Um, you you have to. Uh, people don't really understand how the NGO sort of the attack and onslaught of NGOs worked back in the 80s and 90s. They started implanting uh, NGOs into a country, and once a color revolution happened, then they those NGOs would go 
over to another the other countries around the area and then once another cover revolution happened those ngos would then move to the next cover. now that's eventually led us to ukraine so um you, you in by 2004 there were uh, lots of uh ngos in ukraine more than that had been in any other country and more combined um, that had been in any other country in history now when you talk about that that strange hidden hand surely the tens of thousands of ngos uh, maybe even and it's uh, by now it may even be hundreds of thousands of ngos uh, scattered around russia yeah surely they have to be um uh taken out of action in some way if you're going to have proper diplomacy that is that would be i tell you what we need to we need to get this to eric because that is a very difficult question that i would like to hear him answer is what kind of policy could be created that would um be a push against those ngos um because as as you've researched and i know that your audience um is versed in this so we don't have to explain it but i mean ngos have for-profit wings these days. It goes back, I've, I've been telling people for a long time, forget the sex stuff with Epstein, look into the way he had some sort of hand in the creation of these NGOs. If I'm not mistaken, Jeffrey Epstein um, set up the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, had something to do with um uh the clinton foundation is that is, isn't that accurate yeah 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 i mean he had a, he had his hand in almost every pie and it, it feels yeah. like um that was what his main job was he was there to go around and give it a double check for the guys and see what else could be done because he had connections in not only high places but sideways and shadowy places and that's the most important yeah. thing is to get a job really done you need to be in the shadows and a lot of what uh, the people who fund ngos i mean i do a lot of research that leads back to 60s and 70s again the 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 rise of these organizations like the german marshall fund and others who help to um and this gets on to another question that helped to create these ngos eventually and to watch how they they are gathered and then if you look at the um german marshall fund inside uh, the german marshall fund you got the alliance for securing democracy which are the neocons so would you call Berners campaign the antithesis of a neocon campaign yes i absolutely i um i trashed them again i brought up project for a new american century just how wrong-headed it was um if you if you look at something that's uh parallel but different you could say the america first movement um that's a wing of the republican party that is very um peace driven and to stop this regime change meddling um and to um, correct these actions that have gone on now for decades in our name. I don't want to get away from the NGOs, though, for a second, because um, I see it from a different perspective as well. The way I looked at it, um, I, I, I'm an accountant by trade. My degree is in accounting. And, and, I, and as, you, as you look towards what the rich people are doing, right, for tax purposes and things like that, uh, many years ago, I discovered, oh, limited liability company. And this was this mechanism that was created, this limited liability company. I almost see NGOs now as this new tier of tax avoidance of ways to store wealth outside of one's um, organization, one's person. And so they're used in many different ways. Um, and, and so that might be a way to attack 
Um, the in, I don't, I don't, I don't want to misspeak. So, because it's we have to watch out for freedom and rights, right? So it's, yeah, it's no, perfectly, no, it's perfectly acceptable for people to have influence and to lobby things like that. It's just we can clearly see there's a nefarious intent and a hidden hand behind a lot of these non-governmental organizations that uh, through true fascism are melded within mm-hmm. the government and yes. corporate structures. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's what's so dirty these days is that word fascism has just been thrown out and used mm-hmm. against um, people that literally are, you can't tell who's it's, anti-fascist uh, it's, yeah, it's anymore. All, it's, it's all absurdity. I mean, once you get yes. into bread and circuses, that's what we can expect anyway. So I think we're all we're all kind of in that sort of realm now. Uh, in yeah. the West, at least in the West, I'm not. I'm. I. You know, I think uh, we we have this uh, false idea of what's happening over in say China or Russia a lot of the time because really what they're doing is mirroring whatever the West is doing at the same time. And so that means if uh, the West is having a culture crisis it's probably happening over there too to some degree and hmm. it's about to pop so i mean there's 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 all sorts and the 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 ngos um i i i agree with you completely there has to be and this is why they were such a clever weapon to be used was because they were the opposite of the soviet sort of um regimes that had been before once they started implanting ngos after the fall of of uh supposed fall of soviet russia um you you've then seen um this first time that these uh gray boring Soviet organizations had to stand down these new flood of exciting young inspired organizations came up and it was so easy must be so easy when you're young and enthusiastic to revitalize a society that's really sad and boring and mm-hmm. old um so so there's a lot of w- reason why ngos come up and sometimes it's just because uh, people need a certain service and there's someone who wants to supply it but i think the majority of us know that it's like uh, things like and NGDOs, I think they're called, like non-governmental development organizations that usually uh, develop these NGOs into a smaller type. And really what you end up is a scattered rebellion. So the forming of NGOs uh, using their uh, people for the battlefield of the Maidan Square in Ukraine once had a massive effect and will have a massive effect in another country in another country. So it is a form, and this is something that we, I I mean, I'd really like to understand your views on. It's a form of, definite form of uh, fifth generation warfare. Um, That's what really I see the NGOs are the the main tool, the the pawns, I suppose, the the, the frontline troops uh, going out uh, in this fifth generation warfare that we're experiencing. How do do you think that's what uh, Eric Berner can see coming? I, I uh, again, I can't, I can't speak for him, but he's lived, uh, he's lived an amazing life. Um, whenever we, when we toured Iowa, we spent eleven days together, um, uh, on average, driving for three and a half hours uh, per day. And he's such a fascinating person. I learned new things about him um, every, just about every day I was with him. And so what I can tell you is that through his experience, he was in. Um, the Air Force, 
then he was in uh, the Department of Defense. He was in uh, the Department of Commerce uh, in Na uh, National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. And then he would always tell me these stories about what he did over here. And I'd say, well, wait a minute. You were here at that time. I call BS. You were here at that time. How could you have been done doing this? And he was like this independent person. So even though he was in one department, if they had a problem, and he remember he's highly technical, skilled person, uh, was developing algorithms back in the 90s, wrote the original Google search algorithm that Larry and Serge bought from he and his partner. And he chose not to go into uh, the corporate world, the tech world of Google, because he said, as he told me, he could see what that what that life was, and he didn't want any part of it. So he served. So he went in to serve his country. But as he's telling me these stories, he would basically say, "Oh, well, they had they had something pop up over here, so they asked me for help." So it almost seemed like he was an independent contractor inside of the Department of Defense of this mammoth structure. So even though he might have been working for NOAA at the time, he might have done. Uh, something for the Department of Commerce, uh, maybe for the Office of Inspector General through an investigative um, um, uh, capacity. Mm -hmm. um, so, a man yes, of full seasons, you could say. Yes, I would say that he uh, understands fifth generation warfare. I would understand he sees, from when I've talked to him, he understands the layers in which um, it's never about the action that's in front of your face, it's always about the ripples. Um, that the, the go out from that action and taking that into consideration. Yeah. He's a very contemplative person. So what is, um, uh, and if for, for me and maybe a, a majority of my other viewers, what is an alpha tester, is it, uh, for OpenAI? Yeah, A-L-F-A. So I, apparently mm -hmm. he was one of the first, uh, I think you might be familiar with the term beta tester. Mm-hmm. So alpha tester, I think, comes before beta tester. Um, so that's in the original um, group of people. I guess there were only a thousand that were a part of OpenAI to test, poke, prod, build, um, and do that. So is he officially, and this is a word that is laced, maybe, maybe you will have to defend yourself. Is he officially okay. a technocrat? Uh, I refer to him, I came up with the phrase, the technologist in chief. Technology. <laughs> so, uh, I, so I don't, I don't, I, I think if, if, if I'm going to define this term technocrat, it almost sounds like, well, the way I don't like it is it attaches bureau, a bureaucrat with the uh, technological oligarch, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. um, he is not a rich man. Um, the, from what I've seen, he's, he, he could be a rich man, but he lives a humble life just through principle and um, following his own universal path. Um, so I wouldn't say technocrat, but he's highly technical. Um, he's, he's come across Elon Musk. He told me he argued with Elon Musk back in his PayPal days. You know, he's worked with open AI. Where's my he money, has, Elon? Bring me my money. He, he has, um, he has his own AI, uh, in a sandbox, um, that he develops. Um, and I'm going to, I would, I'm not going to put words in his mouth. I'll let him speak about that. But, through that high technical knowledge, he can then apply 
uh, for example, Elon Musk has called for uh, guardrails to be put on AI and cautioned about AI. There are some people that don't believe AI is a, is a problem. Eric very much thinks that um, uh, humanity is, is in jeopardy of having a new enemy if we don't create a global treaty on artificial intelligence and create some sort of guardrails um, that are thoughtful and uh, constructive um, before we just go willy-nilly off into the future with AI. He especially um, wants those guardrails applied when it comes to the warfighting domain and the use of AI there. Okay. I, I, now, I, I find some of the AI debate extremely interesting. Um, I, I feel that we are like um, uh, really coming into a new atomic age where, where people think that it, they're all doomed right now. But in actual fact, there's a, a, lot, a long distance in between where we are now and, and the second stage of AI, um, artificial general intelligence. That is a, uh, I, I was talking uh, the other day about how I, I read that the top 100 scientists who are working on AI were asked, when do they think AGI will be ready? Um, and this proper, what is proper AI, you could say. And they all came to a consensus that it would be somewhere around 2070. And that is a long way away. That, that's a long time away. I, and, I, I call BS on that. Yeah, now there's a lot of people. Now that's, the, that's what I wonder. At the moment, I'm wondering whether we are naive about the understanding of what AI is. And there are a lot of warning signs and there's a lot of talk about how um, AI will uh, basically be sold to us as ready when in actual fact it's Henry Kissinger behind the keyboard <laughs> tapping away saying you're gonna do this says the ai and well, it's just the guy behind the curtain from wizard of oz do you think, so no, think, think that's of it, think where of it like, we all reach first so think of it i'll answer the question but think of it this way not henry kissinger behind the keyboard controlling it but somebody inputting the data with a kissinger like philosophy of diplomacy I, i'm doing air quote air quotes yeah, here yeah, yeah. um so so it's it's about the data in, and, and we've seen that with like the chat GPT um, responses and when it gets jailbroken. People are already surprised at its ability. Now, what I would hey, push I, I'm, back... I'm surprised that I'm a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalist, according to chat GPT. That's what my surprise <laughs> So So I, the way I would push back against that uh, 2070 is just look at technology and the way that it's exponentially grown. You know, I think it's something like uh, just the microchip. I can't remember what the, the, the guy said, but he said it's going to get half the size and half the cost, or it's going to double in capacity uh, for half the price every year or or, or generation. Just look at what we've seen where technology has gone just in the last 20 years. AI has the ability to even be a higher exponential notch than that because uh, the self-learning nature of it and just how quickly it can um, learn, adapt, and grow um, and build itself essentially, you know, self-learning, general intelligence. So I think we're a lot closer what what um, data if you're gonna if you were to be asked the same question when do you think the moment the uh, 
is is AGI the singularity or is that after AGI? Is that the third you get to singularity or do you need the singularity for AGI? <laughs> so now you get, now you get, okay, so how about this? I'll answer it a different way. If we reach the singularity, well, then we're already there. Then we're so already hello. doomed. Hello, welcome. <laughs> welcome. Hi, Funky Monkey, right here. Uh, we've got newspaste, Funky Monkey, Johnny Um, So that's my kind of belief. It goes back to what you were saying there about uh, destiny and free will in the beginning. It might have been before we started, but um, I use my free will to march to my destiny. And ever since I got in tune with, um, the, I call it the universal wire. Um, it has been very clear the steps along the way and how I've been, um, I don't want to say rewarded, but um, it's, it's just, there's something that's happening. I believe that a lot of people who do deep research, a lot of people that are very involved in the reality matrix of our civilization right now are all coming to this understanding. And, and it's this a great awakening, if you want to use that term and however you defined it, and the great reset coming together. They're coming to a head. And um, out of that, there are tools that could be used to enslave us, and there are tools that can be used to empower us. And it's it, we don't know which way it's going to go. And I don't believe that it's out of our control. I don't believe that all is lost and we're just we're just going to go along with whatever happens. I believe we can participate and we can make an impact um, so that we can steer society technology towards tools that can uplift instead of tools that can that would enslave. So, so um, it, well, it it sounds that's it's it's very interesting because of course um, you've got the we were talking just before the show we were talking about the 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 opposing force is saying we need to reset to back where we've been before and a lot of people i know and a lot of people who i've been living around and i have lived like it for for myself to to some some extent of time um is like the homesteading much more simple lifestyle uh, and trying to get towards more of doing that and most people find that as a way to form their own independent control over their lives in a world where society and organizations have gone awry and everything's going mad and technology that isn't ready is being uh instituted everywhere now you're saying that um y your your journey is taking you along the opposite road where you're heading towards it but you do you feel that you're way too optimistic because i mean i i come from mr pessimistic side i'm definitely yes. pessimistic about cool. uh, the future of of technology if we get up especially if we get up to a stage of like um some sort of really supreme ai we, we i i i see it as trouble do you do you do, do you think that humanity can beat something that it's created to kill itself or at least that's how i see it well that, that's why we have to get a hold of it now that's why it's it's so important to create the treaties create the guardrails um because you know especially in a militaristic standpoint you know now you're talking about uh the terminator movie Right. You go and give AI the, the keys to the to the military kingdom and, and who knows who's 
let, let's say they have programmed into it uh, some sort of holistic save the earth mentality. And, you know, the old trope, well, what if it decides that humans are the problem with the earth? So I don't think we're there, but what, what people like Eric, people, I hear Elon Musk saying this, what they're saying is, let's not get there. Let's be proactive before we get to that point, establish some rules, establish some guardrails. And, and I want to, I, I absolutely love the homesteading angle. Um, I believe in parallel structures. What we have right now is our structures are not working for us. They've become so corrupted. There is, it is absolutely fantastic and necessary for us as a people and as communities to build parallel structures so that in the event if systems break down, we do have um, structures in place that we can reply, rely upon in our communities. Mm-hmm. So 100% holistic with that. I've lived, a di- the way I've gone is I've just been shot I'm entering the bureaucratic class, man. I am going in with honor, with integrity, with authenticity, with positivity. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to hold people to account. And every step of the way, I can be held to account because that's the way our system is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it's broken. Clearly, I don't, I, you know, you can see evidence everywhere of that not being the case. But why can't somebody, a citizen of the United States of America, enter this system and demand accounting, demand accountability, demand um, um, responsibility? And that's, that's where I'm at. And I've got thrust into this campaign. And it just so happens Eric Berner is a conservationist, constitutional conservative, uh, very similar to myself and how I would label myself. Um, and yeah, we're, 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 we're going into the fire trying to um, test the system and its integrity. W- last thing, I believe that we've seen that the Democratic Party is completely captured and corrupted. And when I say that, I mean with their superdelegate structure of their party politics at the convention. I don't believe that um, somebody outside of the club um, could uh, become president uh, as a Democrat. Donald Trump, um, we could probably get into an argument over beers about this, but he kicked in one possibility and theory is he came in and kicked in the door, um, turned the lights on, and we saw all the cockroaches everywhere scurrying. Well, now it's time for we the people to walk through that door. I don't believe Donald Trump is the solution. I don't believe Donald Trump can win in 2024. And uh, there's lots of lots of reasons why, but he opened that door, and now we, the people, have to walk through the door to clean it up, to bring integrity back into a structure that already has uh, in, uh, has authentic oaths at stake. The reason, part of the reason, Eric talks about this a lot. Part of the reason for our corruption and our the partisan nature of what we're seeing and this almost fascistic lens of the party politics coming through the federal government is people not adhering to their oath. They're supposed to be nonpartisan. They take an oath when you are a federal employee to be nonpartisan, okay? So what's happened in our society is we've stopped, we've stopped holding people accountable. Um, we need mm-hmm. to bring accountability back to our neighborhoods, our cities, our counties, our states, and you bet, the federal bureaucracy, 
Well, libertarians seem to be very frustrated by the what what takes away their liberty. That's for sure. And yeah. how does it feel to be in this space right now? Because you, uh, you know that coming up to uh, a pre what what does uh, your team, your guys, what do they need to do to get on the main stage? It's a great question. We need to keep keep taking one one foot in front of the other and keep stepping. Okay, um, they didn't think we'd uh, people wouldn't think that we were going to Iowa. Well, we went and toured Iowa. We hit eighteen counties in eleven days. Now we're going on to South Carolina. We're going to try to accomplish that feat. Uh, two completely different states, two completely different dynamics, but we have and we have different events in South Carolina. Then I have to get into this hard nut to crack that's uh, New Hampshire. New Hampshire, as far as the Republican Party, which I'm a member of, I am uh, not just a precinct committee officer for my neighborhood. I'm also the state committee man for my county. I'm on the messaging committee for my state, and I'm on this campaign. So I, when I injected myself, I took my highly capable um, confidence, and uh, I have been able to work my way through the Republican Party. Now we're talking about a whole new animal. Um, there's, another, there's another person running in this cycle um, that somebody, they just turned a great phrase. They said that this person basically is demonstrating the industrialization of politics with their candidacy, meaning they're not qualified to be president, but they've got the money and they're just out there spending it, spending it, unlocking every door with money, um, buying up all this time. It's, it's very interesting. We are the opposite situation where Eric John Berner is very qualified and wholly qualified to run the executive office, to be president, but we don't have that money. And I'm okay with that because this is about integrity every step of the way. At some point, let me try to answer the question now. So what do we do? I think in terms of targets, so let's back off to a target that's coming up. August is uh, the debates. We, we need to be on that debate stage, uh, to be on that debate stage with Trump and the other candidates to give my candidate an opportunity to shine, um, to demonstrate his experience, demonstrate his cool under pressure and perform in a debate. We will need one million, this is all conjecture and theory, we're waiting for the rules to come out by the Republican National Committee. Um, uh, just so happens the National Committee woman of Washington State, my state, uh, is on the debate committee for the RNC. And I'm going to be seeing her um, in, on May 4th. So I'll be able to ask her in person. Just another blessing of the universe that I've got these people in these right spots. We believe we're going to need to be polling, whether it's 1% or 2%. We have to poll. And we believe that we're going to have to have a million dollars. They're going to attach a dollar figure, we imagine, as campaign donations. Um, so that's a, that's a tough road to hoe. We've got to keep taking one step at a time. I've got two months to get that done in. Um, at some point, here's the magic of it. In our modern society, the things that we may rail against all the time with these captured social bubbles and these social media sites and apps, we may rail against them all the time, but they do provide, they do provide a mechanism for which um, in 48 hours, my candidate could go from nobody's ever heard of him and he's some guy with some 
uh, with some crazy guy that likes Johnny Vedmore on the campaign trail to um, uh, being interviewed by Maria Bartiromo, uh, being retweeted by Elon Musk. And then next thing you know, a week later, he goes from somebody who didn't have a chance that nobody had ever heard of to a viable contender who's expected to be on the debate stage. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can clearly see that that could happen within yeah, yeah. one week time. Yeah. So we have to keep um, promoting his experience. We have to keep talking about his solutions, which I'd like to discuss because that's another unique factor of our campaign that we're against. We're against all this rhetoric that is constantly used every four years, decade after decade. They bring out the same red meat to get elected, but then nothing ever changes. Eric has um, viable policies to solve a lot of these uh, crises that we're facing right now, uh, border, border crisis, um, energy policy. Uh, he's, got, he's got a 17-point white paper uh, at BernardTheUSA.com um, that somebody could take a look at where it's real tangible uh, policy that can be enacted. And it all draws upon his experience. That's what I love about uh, working for this, not working, volunteering for this campaign. Um, I am a volunteer. I'm not paid, I, I'm not I, paid I, a I, dime. Language um, like that confuses me too. I'm, uh... so, so, you know, just to be clear, uh, this is a holistic effort. I am going broke. I am working my tail off seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But, but uh, uh, gosh, it's so exciting. It's, um, it's the mission of a life, man. I mean, you said it in the beginning, like, wow, what an adventure. You know, I was, I was bored, you know, four years ago, three, five years ago, I was bored, bored with life. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I am a taskmaster, multitasker. I, I love a variety of things. I get to do everything with this adventure and bring all of my skills to the table um all of my confidence and yeah it's it's exciting i really enjoy it do you find your um, confidence I, have been growing since you've been going around is it, is it, I, I, has yes. it filled you up to say i can do this and that means i can do more yes um and that's been like i said when when he found me and i said oh this makes sense because that process had i had already been going through that where I had kind of closed myself off to society. I had kind of built my own island. Um, and to be honest, maybe I was scared. Maybe I was scared of society. You know, we, we've, we have a scary world. But since I came out with my investigations and I came out really trying to dig down deep and I created my podcast and I, and I would uh, dive into these different groups and different cultures to try to find understanding, um, every step of the way, I have gained confidence in the fact that, you know, I can look in the mirror and, oh, no, you are a highly capable person. We got this. And I don't mind stumbling. I am not defensive. I don't mind if someone uh, uh, wants to tell me I've done something wrong. Uh, it's, it's all about setting the ego aside um, and trying to focus on the mission. And the mission at this heart is to save the world. Something I adore about you, Jay, Jay, something I adore about you. And the reason I wanted to speak to you 
um, and and go into the uh, like like dig in deep and there's there's loads more we can talk about because um, y- you are extremely positive with everything you're doing and you're stepping into the unknown and you're, you're looking forward to it and you're you're the most importantly uh, this is something that really needs to be honoured nowadays and it's something what I'm trying to do with newspaste itself is you you reach across the aisle all of the time and you're willing to hear the other side and not get too angry which is something that we do a lot isn't it once we we listen to the other side because they can get frustrated uh for so so how explain to me some of this now talking about crossing the aisle let's talk about crossing the border then okay so so what what is the plan that that can make or satisfy the majority uh, of people it's, who are worried about the American borders? It's it's genius. It's 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 ab- absolutely genius. I'm going to rewind just a bit. And I'm not going to forget about that question. But when you say reach across the aisle, I've said this now for years, and I want to be 100% clear. I don't care if you identify as a libertarian, a Democrat, or a Republican, or something else. If you are a good person. And you have integrity. Get involved now. Get in there and go at it with the same attitude I have. Go in with positivity. Be yourself. Do not um, compromise your integrity. um, And go in and participate. And you will hold others to account and allow them to hold you to account. Um, You'd be surprised at how we think of these with these organizations like the RNC and the DNC as these um, megalith organizations. Uh, you would be surprised how much a single person can go in and make a difference in a community, let's say a county, um, a state. Um, and, and I am specifically talking to the people who might like uh, Whitney Webb or they might like Jimmy Dore. And darn it, they still consider themselves a Democrat, but they see what their side is doing and they disagree with it go get involved go to your local meetings you know don't be afraid talk talk them down uh present your ideas um bring accountability to the structure now i just want to be clear about that we need good people with integrity i happen to be in a special class because i'm gen x my kids are almost out of the house, but they're grown now. So it's almost like I'm in this, um, I'm in this stage of life, right, where, where the, the kids have grown up and they don't need dad so much. Um, and I can now inject myself into uh, the system, if you will. So, you know, I, I, I try to speak to a lot of Gen Xers in that way. It doesn't matter if you're libertarian, Democrat, uh, Republican. Of course, I'd like for you to join the burner campaign, but at the same time, you can do that and still join the process of politics within your community. I think that's extremely important. All right, border policy. This is genius. So first off, how does this relate to his experience? When he was in the Air Force, he designed the forward operating bases and the refugee camps for the Kurds in Operation Provide Comfort. I've talked to him in great detail. He does not like to use the term I, he likes to use the term we, because it was a a broad plan. But uh, he was on the ground, he was designing the forward operating bases uh, there in advance and the refugee camps. They clothed, fed, housed, 
500,000 Kurdish refugees as part of Operation Provide Comfort. Okay, let's take that same experience he had. So now he's got tangible experience within a policy. What is his policy? He wants to turn the border crisis into a refugee crisis. He wants to use the National Guard, extend the um, parameters of what a port is, a port of entry. Because in our, in our country, we've got this legal process that if they scurry in, right, and they get across, they're now in the United States. Well, if we can kind of create some sort of uh, barrier within the border and um, um, usher them once they cross, usher them to these refugee camp, uh, this new structure that's created, they will still be within the port authority and therefore they haven't stepped into the United States yet. Now, the big part of this policy, no more kids in cages. Three administrations, Obama, Trump, Biden had kids in cages, okay? We are going to do this professionally with the weight of uh, the weight and power of the intellect of the American people. And uh, by creating this uh, refugee center, which is essentially going to become a whole town and maybe a couple towns, it's not for me to design, right? It's for a team of people, but his policy you can see then how you can intake this flow and you process them there. As a campaign director, I try to tell him, oh, no, no, I, you have to say the word containment. Remember, we're in, a, we're in a Republican primary right now, right? So you, and I tell him, you've got to use the word containment because part of what this is going to do is it's going to contain the problem at the border. They're not just going to be flown in all the way across the country with some like promissory note that they'll that they'll check in. Right. No. Contain it at the border. Treat people with humanity. Treat them with respect. Treat them with care. But processing can be done in that fashion. So part of processing. No, we actually don't want you in our country. You need to go back to where you're from. Oh, yes, we understand your plight. You want to be an American. You want to live that American dream. Here you go. Let's get you into the country. Both scenarios, both people need to be supported. Now, what do I mean by that? When you send that person back to Venezuela, because we, they, they didn't meet the criteria we were looking for to gain entry, we need to send them back with some sort of uh, support so that they stay there. So that they're going back with some sort of uh, mechanism of support when they go back. Because what we've seen is you can ship somebody off and what do they do? They come right back. Um, also, I know this gets touchy with, with technology and tagging and things like that. But we will, at this processing center, of course, you're going to know. So if, so if Juan comes up and, and Juan's a convicted rapist in Guatemala. I'm sorry, Juan, you cannot come into the United States. But here, Juan, we've got this resource for you in Guatemala. Go see this resource. If Juan shows up next week, maybe the answer is a little different, right? Hey, Juan, we told you, you can't come in. We gave you the support, go back. What I'm saying is there can be structures in place that take care of all of these situations and do it in a way that's uh, kind, um, and contained. Um, the the add-on, I've got to keep going on this because it's so important. We built China. 
over decades, we built China. The United States of America built China. We, we shipped all our manufacturing base over to China, and we took advantage of it for cheap goods as consumers here. We absolutely have to as a country. It makes no sense to ignore the Western Hemisphere like we've done for decades. We need to build bridges and help uplift the countries in our Western Hemisphere. Eric, when he talks about building trade partners, he talks about our hemisphere, Central America, South America, uh, Canada, Mexico, and he talks about West Africa, okay? We need to build these trade partners as we decouple from China. A decoupling is going to happen, whether it's, again, we talked about this, whether it's this great reset bipolar currency system where bricks are set against um, um, uh, Western nations, uh, currency wars, or in the situation where we have this great awakening where this, I, gosh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to use that term. It's almost been, um, there's been a taint associated with the great awakening. Um, and I apologize. I, I need to stop using that term. But th this um, uh, renaissance, if you will, of, of society, this renaissance of society in this global sense where we respect sovereignty, if we need to build these these bridges so that we don't have the migration crisis to begin with, so that we can support and trade and uplift our Western hemisphere so that we don't have these um, people rushing in. And, and then finally, we are not blind. We have a problem at the northern border as well. It is not talked about in the mainstream media. That doesn't mean it's not there. We have an inflow of people coming across in our northern border that must be taken care of, that must be contained as well. And we can work with uh, our Canadian partners, but a lot of this has to do with high-tech um, border system um, that is that uses the technology available us to the, to the today to do a better job of capturing or uh, preventing people from just coming in unfettered into our country. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot to pick apart from there. There's a lot to pick. I'm apart sorry. From. No, don't be, don't be, don't be. I like the fact that you, 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 you were, you were that honest because that's intriguing. Okay. First of all, widen in a sense, widening the parameter of a border or the, the, the width of a border and, and creating border towns would be extremely interesting to see how that would be received in the conservative part of the Republican Party. So I, yeah, I, not, can, I can imagine that would be an idea that would be more, uh, would, would more likely attract a Democratic vote, a Democrat voter. Than well, uh, again, people are people and we're common sense. We like to think we're common sense based people. And this issue has been an issue now for well over a decade. Shoot, it's been my entire adult life. Right. Okay. Listen, listen. I agree. I agree. This is a common sense, and it's really hard to understand what common sense looks like. So I, you know, when I look at that, I say, well, I know what people are going to criticize about it, um, or what people are going to say the worst thing that could happen. But I do see a possibility. Maybe if they, you know, reformed NGOs to help with this sort of uh, re re. Um, uh, sending someone back to their own country what is it can, can i can i can i blow you away just a little bit go, can go i on, add another on. layer mm -hmm. let me add this other layer because this 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 comes from me and 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 uh eric and my ideas kind of blending together a bit 
What if you went and uh, discovered the people in Seattle, in San Francisco, in Philadelphia that weren't drug addled, but homeless because of circumstance? And what if you offered them the opportunity to go work at this border facility um, and receive training? And, and within that facility, you also have a training facility also. So now you're also attacking this homeless crisis that's been thrust upon our country. It's, it's an interesting, another layer that we've thrown into it, but you, that's the way multitaskers work, right? That's the way problem solvers need to work. You have to go and pull in as many things as you can to make something the be work the best. That's the idea that we have also is to try to um, grab these people that are homeless out of circumstance and give them opportunity, then maybe they can go back to their communities. And now we start developing these rehab centers because uh, fentanyl, it takes 90 days to get off of fentanyl, right? It's a very serious effort. We need to start getting, wow. it's, it's part of the reason why both Eric and I are so passionate about this. And we're from Washington state. Literally, when you go to Washington State, you have to step over human beings in the streets mm -hmm. in downtown Seattle. It didn't used to be that way. And I cannot, I can't go on. I, I just, you know, the last time I was there uh, with my son, I, I, we stopped. We were walking to a soccer match at uh, Quest Field or whatever it's called nowadays. And I had to go and buy a meal for somebody. And I realized I can't afford to buy meals for everyone. We have to solve this problem. It's up to, a, uh, and again, this get, we're going into a, a territory of libertarianism where you know, we talk about civil rights, but as responsible neighbors, as responsible citizens, we cannot allow our labors, neighbors to live in squalor like this. We have to eventually start attacking this problem. And here in Washington state, Democratic policies have only exacerbated it. They have not um, come close to solving it. It's like this, uh, this NGO money laundry washing machine of money where they raise all these billions of dollars in tax funds, but it doesn't ever do anything. The latest, uh, the latest uh, solution they have is they've raised all these billions and they're going to create walk-in facilities uh, for, for the mental health. Well, what, what, what person do you know um, that's suffering mental health issues voluntarily walks into a facility to receive treatment? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and then also, when, when you have a walk-in facility, what, what also is it? It's a walk-out facility. Mm -hmm. So they walk in, oh, I don't really like what's going on here, and they walk out. So uh, I'm sorry to go on that long tangent. It's just these are, these are solutions that, again, shouldn't you want a presidential candidate to be talking about these real issues instead of talking about the woke culture nonsense that's going on today. Yeah, I think there's a lot to do with uh, like a Hegelian dialectic going on with the woke culture. I think that, that we create our heroes and villains, don't we? And we've learned that, um, especially in the cultural realm. And my own personal two pence on, on, on that uh, kettle of fish <laughs> is that... Um, People like uh, Jordan Peterson and others who, who Ben Shapiro, of course, they, they seem like extremely intelligent, sensible characters when they're arguing against something that's clearly 
completely absurd and so when a time of real crisis happens afterwards about something really absurd that is damaging to people they can pull out those sort of people to uh to to, to manipulate yes. the audiences with using that hegelian dialectic as a as a tool against us which is what i feel we 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 get a lot now why i find what you were just saying interesting is that um that's really crossing uh, crossing borders in a sense uh is is um there's elements of that plan that any conservative would uh, argue were socialist in a sense um and and that that is what distinguishes a lot of the time in my own belief a libertarian from a conservative is that they often hold roughly the same values but libertarians realize you can't just build a wall all the time because that just yeah. is is using the hammer to uh, to to treat everything as a nail um so so i i understand this and i do understand that trump his his vision of it that they started pulling forward it's just insane i mean it just looks silly it is silly it's a pantomime um but it's both sides play pantomime games with it so it doesn't really matter anyway um and what you are talking about is a real solution i i i think people are desperate for a real solution at least those who live near the border and when you talk about going into these major cities uh, it's very interconnected the amount of homeless people who are now out on the streets and the amount of people who come through a border without any ability to sustain themselves or any language skills, all of those sort of things. I was walking through uh, London last year at some point and um, I walked through a, a tire long, it must have been about 500 meters of doorway with just uh, homeless people all along the, the side and every single one of them you you could weren't really english speakers weren't didn't had come across with desperation and hope in their heart which doesn't solve anything um and and seeing how they're treated it makes you realize well there's no solutions for these things in reality they just say you can't come in and once you're in well we're not going to give you a job that is just a negative cycle that we keep going around. So I like that there's alternatives. The the tech solutions are very interesting to me because most of that probably means like a variation on what I think it was called ICAM. I did a, a bit in an article about it once upon a time. This this the guy who created like the uh, tags that go on the bottom of the legs um, to to keep to, to let the GPS stuff to let people know. Uh, what they're doing i think they were called icam um but but th- that that is something there's got to obviously got to be a level of technology that's used to sort these problems yeah. out well we have f- uh, fingerprint fingerprint technology is a form of technology yeah yeah, yeah. right so mm-hmm. so in an advanced culture you know we might use a facial id facial recognition for, for um, my to... from from my side of the fence uh, that it's just it's it, we know that the people in charge the intelligence agents uh the people who are influential within um business and uh, or, or work within big business and they're influential within politics or two politicians and their politician friends and the donors they, they're likely to be um 
easily swayed and manipulated. So it, the, the idea of giving them uh, ability to have a massive amount of information of people, those people always go out of control. Those big agencies always tend to go out of control. And that's what okay. the, the worries you have to, f I, 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 yeah, I'd so like to know I got, how that's going to be tackled. So, so then that rolls into another uh, policy platform. Um, this one, I'm not, I, I, he's the highly technical one. So he explains it a little better than myself. Um, but IBOR, Internet Bill of Rights, built into IBOR, um, you've got uh, not just data uh, privacy, data security, but there's a mechanism that you can claw back. Um, you, remember, you remember the guy who ran for president, uh, Andrew Yang? Yeah. Remember, yeah. And he, he, the, his, his big thing was uh, universal basic income, right? He was apparently well, extremely handsome when he was young. That's what I heard. <laughs> so, so Andrew Yang, uh, universal basic income, uh, made mainstream. I think Joe Rogan even talked about it and said, oh, yeah, we should have that. Built into IBOR is a mechanism to where people could receive money on their data um, that Twitter uses, that Facebook uses. There's a clawback mechanism um, that could require these companies that use the data for their own profit for, um, for individuals to claw that back and be paid for that. Um, but it also then uh, creates, um, creates laws and uh, constitutional rights uh, around someone's digital personhood, their data, essentially. So, so how can we actually... Um get something like that implemented that means that the people who um, want to be on homesteads and want to be outside the system can really make sure their data and their information never goes on the system. Hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that there would have to be an option for that, right? Yeah, if but the, want... we, we always feel it's like, you know, it, as this technology goes through the pandemic, I, 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 went, I, I had a lot of experience in Chile where they in, introduced it. In Britain, we, we think we're more technological savvy and we've got slightly better technology than down in South America. Mm -hmm. So when I was in Chile, you can't get um, uh, the little tiny uh, headphone plugs for instance, mm -hmm. you can only get the bigger ones. The next generation version isn't available there. Um, so there's lots of things. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm losing my, 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 my No, voice. you were going to say, but they, un they, uh, they unrolled very draconian measures in Chile. Yeah, yeah. Um, to where you they, they, they did. But what, what they would, what one of the things that really frustrated me was you couldn't have a menu, a paper menu in a, a restaurant. Now in Britain, we're supposed to be <laughs> all aboard of the fourth industrial revolution, but no one is really caring about this um, QR code business, but they wouldn't give you any, they, they just, they, they mandated it around the country, I think. So no restaurant had these paper menus anymore. And it just seems it, it we lose ourselves and we never gain that bit back. And that's what I think everybody, on my side of the fence feels when we talk about our identity being given away to big corporations or big big organizations we know that really clawing that back is really super difficult well i'm really and maybe I'm, uh, impossible i'm really concerned about uh the test that our society went through 
uh, with this uh, COVID um, operation. Uh, it's, uh, it's extremely concerning. It pitted neighbors against neighbors. Um, I had a neighbor come up to me and tell me that I needed to get my son vaccinated to protect her son. Mm-hmm. And my son's 16 years. He was uh, 14 at the time, very healthy, uh, very athletic. I knew that uh, he would probably have a higher likelihood of a bad outcome from the vaccine than from getting whatever this COVID um, that they were naming this, uh, this flu, uh, flu-like cold. Um, it's a real concern the way that as a society we failed that test mm-hmm. that we were put, placed upon. Um, so I, I hear all of those arguments um, and I don't, I don't have the perfect answers for any of this. It's, it, we are, we are at this, we're at this chaotic swirl where you can see negative and positive outcomes from technology and from the control structures that are put in place. Um, some people say, oh, that'll never happen again, that COVID pandemic response. Um, I think you and I would argue um, that it could happen again from, yeah. from what I saw. You know, they're just going to definitely is definitely um, a new phase of a plan happening that's leading us towards a place that I'm concerned when I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm I'm on this other side of the fence with technology and I'm warning people and saying it's all dangerous. But maybe there's part of elements of that that are Luddite about it. Maybe there's a part of me that is stuck in the past and maybe there's a part of me that does prefer the SNES to modern gaming systems or whatnot, Super Famicom as it was, wherever, wherever <laughs> else in the world people were. Um, maybe there's a... But but then you know I I do love some of what the advances give me and that trade off is something that is going to keep going and going and going. I recognize yeah. that. I recognize that uh, it's hard to understand what happens if you want to be outside of a um, a, a a currency. So if they introduced CBDCs uh, in yeah. the country that I'm living in. Um, how do you buy petrol? How do you do those things outside the system? If all they do, if you, it's all got to go black market. It's all got to go offline because th- then they, there's a fracture between the two the two structures, and that's You're where most be, likely yeah. for conflict comes. So I see yep. approaching. There's there's a time where there's going to be a split apart. There's going to be an old world clashing with a new world, and that's coming faster. Now. I I see, uh, I know that the uh, Elon Musk I see as one of the kings of that area, and I know that you see him a tiny bit differently, or a bit differently, and a lot of my view on Musk is that he's um, been kind of born into this lucky place where his high intellect and the parents he had and and the grandfather he had as well has led him to this uh, this place where he was able to sit atop, atop um, what is a technocratic throne above a lot of other people just at the moment when technocracy really kicks off um how i i fear him as some potential awful deity uh how do you see him um i try i try to see 
I, I was thinking about this last night. It's interesting we're having this conversation because I was trying to explain. I actually thought about doing a Twitter thread on my view of Elon Musk. And because I see it all as being true, I like to try to say, okay, let's take it all in and understand it as uh, uh, with the possibility and probability of it being true. And, you know, with the mom that's do, I'm not even going to do it in case this is recorded with the mom, with the, the seeing eye, what was that vanity fair or yeah. Vogue cover? I've actually right? got a guy coming on the podcast very soon. Who's going to explain the official uh, historical significance to all of that sort of stuff. So you've from- got, you've got that, you've yeah. got his, his wife, uh, was he married to that Grimes character? So you've got you've got these situations where you just can't look away. You can't look away from um, the evidence that's in front of your face. Now, then you've got the fact that he absolutely used. We're, we're talking about fascism. He actually absolutely used the fascistic structure of our modern governmental uh, apparatus to enrich himself and build his companies. He used the contractor. Uh, you, you make sure you get your government contracts and now you got the big bucks coming in. You, you fulfill those contracts, 100%. But then also you say, well, he's still doing things. He's still at an amazing level that's beyond my comprehension uh, the the head of these organizations, and he must be treating people right because he has people working doggedly um, on his behalf. And when you, uh, I, I'm a business owner. Uh, it's a big struggle is to empower people to work on your behalf and to and to just release and let them go. Right? He is clearly very good at empowering people to solve problems and work. Um, on these company problems to build the companies outside of himself, right? He is, and he's a steward versus the guy who's uh, yeah, the doer. I, I think he's early. I, I mean, just to interrupt very briefly, remember what you were saying mm-hmm. in your line of thought there. But um, it's first zip to uh, net and uh, his other sort of um, uh, jaunt into this sort of world right at the start um, saw him alienate a lot of people when he got too involved and I think that's what he learned that he needed to be outside it and leave other people to do that and not get involved because otherwise they all yeah. kick him out and they all rebel <laughs> yeah so so uh, to, to to my point that you just made he learned adapted and now he's he's head of what boring he's head of Tesla SpaceX Twitter right okay so how is this possible so so we've 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 clearly got evidence that that you and Whitney have talked about that that's all oh man we're really scared about this guy, but then there's also this clear role. Uh, also, you know Tesla. Shoot, we both know how much of a farce it is that Tesla is like good for the earth, right? The, the, think about the carbon footprint. Nobody ever talks about um, the the payback period in terms of. Uh, the environmental impact of one car. What is that? How long does that car have to be on the yeah. road for that payback period? I, I, I've I heard never... crazy. I've heard crazy sort of estimations of if everybody owned a Tesla, certain resources wouldn't exist on Earth. That's why. Yeah. Right. So, so we understand the scam of the Green New Deal, but he he keeps. It seems to me he's building towards something. He's building, 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 using these as vehicles to build more and more. And he's really into the technology. He's really into exploration, SpaceX. I've been into this my entire life uh, uh, to go to the 
the matrix analogy where John Smith says that we're like a virus, right? Well, I'd like to think of us like a pollen and the earth, we are, we are, the earth wants to spread its seed across the galaxy. Um, and I want to go and reach for the stars. I like when he talks about that. Also, he is on record as saying curbs, treaties, we need to be careful with AI. Mm-hmm. I think that people are twisting themselves into knots when they say he's just doing that to throw people off the off the scent of him actually uh, deploying some uh, uh, AGI system. So I believe him in that that he's he's uh, he wants to do that. I believe that he would um, have an important uh, role or partnership in the Burner administration to enact policies that curbed uh, and tried to control contain utilize, uh, make sure AI is a tool for humanity, that it can't get out of control, and we end up being batteries for AI. Then there's the space exploration. Um, Very interesting. Um, I like to stay positive. The, The way that I think about it is, you can have all of that history of grandfathers and mothers and relationships, but then when it comes down to it, what about today? And what about moving forward? So I do like to think of the positivity. I do like to believe when he says that. I think that um, he didn't share the Twitter files as a limited hangout. Um, I think mainstream media ignoring it, that's not his fault. It did come out. He exposed, where I'm going to use the term again, the fascism that was going on within the, te- within the government apparatus censorship within the technocracy and the way this revolving door of, uh, of FBI James Baker becoming uh, a part of Twitter. And it's like this, this rotation around. And they all seem to have this strange ideology that they need to control your mouth and my mouth. Like, like we're, we're going to set the world on fire with what we're saying. Well, I know that we both try to seek the truth. Mm-hmm. Why do they want to censor the truth? Why does that ideology want to control and contain people that are trying to seek the truth? No, no, I, I do think there's an element again of the Hegelian dialectic at play between uh, Musk, the old establishment of Twitter, and Musk's new establishment. I think it's very convenient for Twitter to release all of bad things it does and still have the ceo look like a hero that's Mm. a very clever little uh if every ceo could do that i'm sure they would but there's only a couple i think who can manage it and musk is definitely on the top of that pile um i I, i'm not a big fan of the people who were chosen to release the twitter files so okay uh, matt taibbi especially um he is he he's kind of like um second generation uh weird connections around the place was part of the exile that was uh situated in moscow and uh based in moscow and was a a magazine that was fun and silly and etc but it seemed like it was um a a limited hangout uh Mm. and uh I mean, if you read the book in and you believe what the book says, their own words in the book, they were just sexually harassing women and all sorts of things. And then writing about okay. how hilariously funny.
funny it was. Um, and then they went on uh, through uh, like uh, Matt Taibbi has uh, kind of been like walking this road towards becoming kind of like what his father, the sort of area his father had been in before. I've seen a few people who walk that road. They seem to be like handed down a legacy and look like they're walking through their legacy. And even Matt Taibbi's uh, old partner at the exile explained that, that he thought that even Matt Taibbi himself knew that he would eventually fill his legacy one day. And that would be um, entering into whatever establishment was taken over from the next establishment uh, or the dying establishment. Now, I see this establishment as dying now, and I see the technocratic establishment, the new, neo technocratic establishment, because it was an old technocratic, gray, boring, Klaus Schwab style technocratic Bill Gates. establishment. Yeah, and I think that's dying away, and the new one is the exciting looking Elon Musk establishment, and it will still be uh, perpetually this always the same it will be the new world order the prevailing new world order and i think people like uh, barry weiss who's been caught out many times on some of this stuff I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big not a big fan of barry weiss yeah yeah i i i have to admit i was really suspicious some of some of it also the the uh, hamilton 68 revelations kind of suggested that at the end of hamilton 68 they the the neocons who run it at the gmf and the alliance of securing democracy mm -hmm. again um uh, uh with chertoff and people there uh those are the guys who were running and deciding who was censored well uh, when elon musk took over it was just redesigned who was being targeted and how it was targeted okay so that's uh, you know not a new wave that's still doing the same thing just just with the same people and they're neocons so in the background of musk i always worry there's always these other guys who are uh are able to influence him somewhat hmm. well and i noticed when he took over that the twitter spaces all of a sudden had these uh constructs as i call them these people that were just placed in this position of uh, stewardship a few of them uh uh nar narwhal i i don't i don't know his name but they're all you know they they were all these spooky characters that they, they all they did was talk about u.s politics and none of them were american and i always found that a little strange next thing you know kim.com is is on these as uh, some uh, he, he, he actually um he actually messaged me one time kim.com mm. um which i i found he, he was trying to get whitney no surprise surprise mm. um mm. I, I i i i said something to him that was um uh, veiled i told him he had a very important part to play in all of this i don't think it's a necessarily a good part so mm. I, I, I think there's a lot of people and this is, I mean, I, th this is what you have to uh, yourself, obviously you've had to probably combat a bit of this because you are on what, if there's a spectrum of politics, you're definitely on the libertarian spectrum. And that yes. often shares the space with people like Kim.com and Elon Musk and other people like that. Mm -hmm. So, so, so uh, is it hard to find consensus in the libertarian circles? Okay, so I, I consider myself a Republican nowadays. I definitely have libertarian roots. I definitely have libertarian roots. But where, where I think the problem with the Libertarian Party is I voted for Harry Brown in the year 2000, okay? I can probably say I didn't vote for George Bush one time. Um, voted for Harry Brown in the year 2000. 
And they always seem to get the clown car going when it comes to like extreme principles. They, they take their extreme principles too far, in, in my opinion. And I'm more uh, nuanced with, um, you know, I don't say all, let's legalize all drugs. I say, hey, let's revisit natural drugs like cannabis, like uh, psilocybin mushrooms, right? But as soon as you start to take drugs that are processed, uh, so uh, even cocaine, right? Cocaine goes through a processing of the plant. I don't, um, I think you need to uh, step back and take a look at it. So I would never be for legalizing fentanyl. I'd never be for legalizing um, heroin, for example. Um, you know, the, the, other th the other thing the libertarians get caught up on would be um, prostitution. Hey, uh, that's her body, her choice. You know, wants to at some point in a society, we have to um, help people from themselves, and that's that's kind of where I'm at with uh, with the bodies in the streets and the homeless epidemic that we're under here in the Pacific Northwest, and I've seen in Philadelphia, I've seen elsewhere in pockets. I think Austin, Texas, is right now um, um, getting hit hard, and, and I don't understand why the country doesn't see that it's all these democratically controlled. When I say Democrat Party controlled. Um, urban areas all seem to just go to shit and have people drug addled living in the streets. It's clearly been a, a pattern over the decades. And, um, you know, I want to help people. And sometimes you need to help people uh, from themselves in responsible ways that doesn't um, impede on civil rights. Uh, but you have to have some sort of lines, right? Agreed. You but you, I mean, you've, you've definitely put that forward in what you were saying about like the ideas of border policies and what you thought about them and stuff. It's like finding another way that is more humane uh, would be nice for most areas of um, politics. Um, yes, I find it hard to find consensus. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. I, re I really enjoy the um, debates, um, but I don't, I don't take much time arguing with libertarians. I, I don't view right now. I don't view the libertarian party as serious. I think they need to look in the mirror. Um, people want to talk about election fraud. Okay. In 2020, just look at what Joe Jorgensen uh, brought in, in those key five counties um, that Trump lost the Biden won. I think in three or four of the five counties, the, that difference was the libertarian vote, was Joe Jorgensen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they need to look themselves in the mirror. The, the Republican Party is the big tent party. So yeah. there's always going to be a difficulty to come up with consensus within the Republican Party because it's the party that's um, open to the most ideas and mm -hmm. ideals um, as a party. Um, so, you know, that, I'm hoping that we can present our case and bring people on board that believe in um, the policies that Eric has put forth to solve these crises that we're, that we're going through. The problem right now that I've had, um, to be clear, is I haven't had uh, death threats or anything nefarious happen. No, we've been ignored. Uh, we've been ignored and we've been shut out of the process because we don't have the uh, pay to play. We don't have the money to unlock some of these doors and gates um, that are presented. Um, and it's a shame because part of my campaign strategy is I'm a, I'm a Republican. I'm a state committee man in my county, uh, PCO, uh, on the messaging um, committee for the state. 
I wanted to go through at the county level all of these early primary states and across the country, I have specific regions that I've targeted and to go through the Republican Party at the county level because there are ideals built within the structure that are supposed to allow candidate vetting and communications. Um, I will tell you that Iowa was tremendous. I mean, people, they not, not only did they have their phones posted on the internet, easy to obtain, but they answered their phones. Not only did they answer their phones, they were very friendly and accommodating when it came to uh, allowing the candidate to speak to their committee. Um, in other states, it's not it's not so simple. So, you know, these are kind of the uh, these are the choppy waters that I'm dealing with right now is more about uh, uh, reaching brick walls and figuring out how to go up over or through the brick walls that are presented in front of me. OK, right. So uh, coming up to the end now, I got to ask you a, a, a couple of questions about. I, I know you're saying step by step, one foot in front of the other and all of this. Yes. But what happens if you get on a run? What happens if you, who will uh, occupy uh, a, a White House, a burner White House? Oh, in terms of like a, a vice presidential candidate? Well, you, keep that... I mean, you mentioned, gonna... you, you just mentioned that Elon Musk might have a place. Is there any that you would give away that might have a place like within sort of advising the White House? So let's be clear. Elon Musk 100% already is a partner of government. Mm -hmm. So so maybe Eric becomes his boss. Yeah, yeah. Right? And if you're a good boss, you listen to your employees. You listen to your partners. So, well, you know, I'm I'm sure that that's a natural course because he's already a uh, government contractor and very important parts. Uh, Eric is former Air Force. I like to say if he were in the Air Force today, he'd be in Space Force. Okay. Elon Musk is tied to Space Force. So these two have a, a natural um, common ground to speak from. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a name that I respect quite a bit um, that I introduced to Eric that I, uh, that I would love to meet and talk to. Um, um, his name is Admiral Mike Rogers. I believe that Admiral Mike Rogers uh, demonstrated um, integrity at a time where it wasn't easy. Um, if you remember, Mike Rogers was on the stage in Congress um, testifying uh, with James Clapper and John Brennan, and they were, uh, they were lying. And um, Admiral Mike Rogers brought um, the problems with the FISA court to public awareness, um, went to uh, the Trump, pre Trump candidacy at the time and, and, and let him know what was going on and um, tried to correct that. So when I, look, when I look at Mike Rogers as the head of the NSA, National Security Administration, which we're all like scary, scary, spooky organization, I believe he brought um, integrity and authenticity to that uh, organization, and I would like to interview him and speak to him. Mm. There's that. That's one name. Yeah, that's uh, that. I mean, you're dealing with big stuff once you're the president, though, isn't it? So, uh, well, I mean, what what's your you? I, you but you, you need got... people along. You need people to be a part of it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I another another name to throw out there that I think. Uh, I'm a little, I mean, you have to vet all these people and, and there's time within this process. But hasn't Tulsi Gabbard demonstrated uh, some sort of uh, integrity and ability? 
wouldn't you say, if you were to say, hey, um, is, there, is there somebody that could possibly be a Secretary of State? Uh, wouldn't Tulsi Gabbard be somebody that would be on a list? I, I do know that there's a, a lot of mixed feeling about her, especially in my mm-hmm. crowd. Uh, uh, one of the things that most concerns me about Tulsi is that she uh, is reportedly a member of the CFR, but I'm not big oh. into the CFR anyway. Um, but Tulsi Gabbard has definitely been uh, center stage for a while. Um, when it comes to being an, another voice, an opposing voice to what the narrative is setting down. And she, and she got crucified when she went against Hillary Clinton. So, for example, when I said clearly the Democratic Party is, uh, is, has been corrupted, uh, we all know Bernie Sanders was the, uh, was the, uh, was the nominee in 2016. He was completely thrown out of that. And then we saw, what did he do? He rolled over. Well, Tulsi Gabbard was a part of that Bernie Sanders. There was a partnership there. And when Bernie rolled over, Tulsi got thrown under the bus, and she stayed strong within the, uh, the forces, if you will, within the wind. Um, and I thought that demonstrated some sort of integrity. And now recently, I, I, I'm not big on people that become TV stars, right? Um, so now she's got a voice that's being uplifted as being part of the Fox News network. Um, but... Um, I see her as having integrity. I, um, I did not know that she was wh- at Fox News. I'd missed that. I, yeah, I think it's Fox News now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the where I got concerned about her, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but uh, what her um, – she's an Army reservist, and I believe that she comes from the world of psychological operations within the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, – are you familiar with a gentleman by the name of Joe Kent? No, Joe Kent. He ran for Congress in Washington State, received uh, national notoriety as an America First candidate. I actually interviewed him on my podcast, um, and it came out that he was um, he when he was in special forces in the army, um, he ended up going into the CIA. Uh, He was paramilitary in the CIA, and I asked him about that on my podcast. But he uh, demonstrates uh, some real intelligence in the way that he. Uh, speaks about uh, global issues and foreign policy. Um, so, you know, you can't, one of the things that you know, uh, for, for people listening, uh, Johnny and I, uh, w- uh, we haven't known each other a long time, but we're very clear and fast friends, you might say. And I kind of poke at him about the positivity angle because you guys do see, you see nefarious characters, yeah. uh, you see nefarious shadows everywhere. It's and true. It's some, at some point, you have to believe in – you have to see positivity. You have to believe in somebody. And maybe if you, if you shine the light on somebody and you give somebody responsibility, maybe that's their opportunity to come through. Yeah. Okay, right. You know, the, the, what this podcast I'm doing now is about is forms of censorship. And mm-hmm. our side – of the debate, the independent media side who's anti-tech has often stayed away from having a conversation across uh, enemy lines um, because it's very comfortable to stay in that sort of realm. Yeah, That needs to end. We're entering a new stage where um, we've got to argue for consent together. And I admit fully well that I, when I hear Tulsi Gabbard, I, I, I think, well, I, I followed her for the start and was like, oh, yeah, she's inspiring. And then I was like, wait a minute, 
all of the people before <laughs> who have been inspiring have turned out to be nefarious. And then I've yes. watched slowly as I've discovered more information and I've been like, I don't want to look anymore. And I look away yeah. a little bit and say, well, there's another one lost. To... And, and I do see it that way. I don't have much tolerance for saying again, oh, well, okay, she's a member of the CFR, but she might be different. You know, I, I don't, I, 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 I think she renou- I think she renounced that. I yeah, do yeah. think she renounced that. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I know, I, but I, I, I'm always like, you make your your bed, and then yeah. you try and either lay in it or you get I try and roll out of it as best you can. Because I think and she I, was also pictured as a young global leader for the yeah, WEF. Yeah, also. yeah, but w- and, when you're trying to roll out of an uncomfortable bed and trying to get away from an uncomfortable bed, often it's just not possible. Often it just you you and and I will be like, oh look, they're rolling out of an uncomfortable bed. They were nefarious once, but they may actually be doing it because they want to get away from that tag. They want to renounce that yeah. they were a young global leader or a member of the cfr i have to always understand that that possibility is there but i just think it's uh when you put your foot in these uh in with these what i call big players of course they're the big players mm-hmm. when you put your foot in with them when you put your lot in with them um you've stepped over to a side that is going to be really hard to return to um, because a lot of people uh, are just going to get more concerned as these authoritarian structures get bigger and more malevolent, and yeah. and and then people have to choose a side. Now, I'm going to ask you uh, probably one of the hardest questions. I, I don't, don't attach to campaign the campaign. It's all your you. Yeah. This is all you, but. Do you see positivity in America's future or do you see a civil war? Because I hear a lot of people saying civil war. I personally see positivity. One of the things we haven't talked about that's a big part of the policy platform of Eric John Berner um, is fusion power um, and, and how he sees the way fusion power um, being part of the renaissance um, of America for 100 years. Um, and creating prosperity. It's, it's a mechanism in which we bring manufacturing back to the United States. Um, it, it deals with earlier, you mentioned CBDCs. Well, we, we cannot take those CBDCs. Whenever they talk about the CBDCs, it always comes with a banning of um, other forms of digital currency. But we have to enunciate to people in your camp, people, people in your spheres that I talk with all the time, there's a difference between digital dollar or cryptocurrency yeah. and CBDCs. There is a big difference, and, but it's hard because there's so much nuance and it's so hard. It's so complex, um, these, these new um, systems of currency. But so I see that positivity, especially with Eric John Berner um, as president um, being the steward of turning this large ship uh, away from meddling everywhere across the globe and uh, uh, back into, we talked about it from swords to plowshares, right? So from swords out meddling to let's, let's bring Legion home, as, as Eric says, um, and let's work on our own country and um, work on the foundations, not just culturally as everyone, all the woke movement likes to say, no, let's bring prosperity back to America. Let's heal our nation. And in doing so, let's make sure 
sure we strengthen our ties with our hemisphere, with our land masses that are connected to us. Um, let's reach out to new emerging markets like West Africa and make sure that we can be stewards of their emerging growth and new markets instead of always trying to control these things. It's difficult. I hear you in terms of these big players. And uh, I just, if we don't try and we don't offer this as a solution, well, then I see what you just talked about as being um, a possibility where when we already see it, you know, you see uh, people on the right talking about, oh, well, let's just create our own fiefdom and forget those democratic controlled areas. Well, I happen to live in Washington State, west of the Cascades. People who know the Pacific Northwest know I'm in controlled Democrat country, hardcore. I, I don't, don't leave me behind. Don't, don't throw me out with this, with this dirty bathwater. We're trying our guts out out here um, to bring common sense conservatism to the masses. The problem is, is that it's the marketing. These are neighbors who don't have the time to do the, the digging. And I always tell people, just grab a shovel, just go one layer, just one layer of digging will open your eyes to a lot of things. And our neighbors don't have the time or they don't know that if they just take a shovel and dig a little bit, they'll see so much that they're not seeing now from the mainstream narrative. Well, it's all marketing that, that when they go to their ballot and they have a choice between an R and a D and they don't know anything about either candidate, they mark the D because inside they think that that means they're a good person. That's all marketing. We have to attack the marketing. And I've been talking to the Republican Party about this. We have to present ourselves with authenticity because we're not bad people. We're not racists. We're not this or that that's been painted upon us. Just present yourselves as people. And I'm, I'm worried that the, the money has gotten so mixed into all of these uh, party dynamics that there, there can't be a cohesive message and, and they're not even realizing. Instead, they just say, oh, that's mainstream media or, or this or that. Well, at some point, we have to pierce those bubbles that are encapsulating our neighbors and entrapping them within the marketing of the narrative. They're the ones that put on that mask and got that vaccine because, gosh darn it, that meant they're a good person. You know, they, and we were made to be the crazies out there who weren't good people because we wouldn't go along with society, right? Mm -hmm. um, and nowadays I look back and, and I'm, I am terribly proud uh, here in Washington State, my son was playing soccer in an outdoor stadium and, and I looked around and everybody was wearing a mask and I was not, and I would not wear a mask. The, the ridiculousness of that was so bad and, and my family was embarrassed. My girlfriend would, would she, she, she understood and she wished she, she didn't wear a mask, but she was going along to get along. And I said in real time, I said, no, they need to see somebody else not wearing a mask, somebody else who's not giving in, somebody else. And, and I'm, you wouldn't believe the dirty looks I would get. I've gotten yelled at. And I'm just trying to, what I'm trying to illustrate is it's all marketing. We have to, our side has to stop yelling at each other, has to stop presenting anger as our, uh, as our weapon. And we need to start doing things with intelligence um, and a deft touch. 
uh, so that we can get our message across and get people shovels. We don't have to, we don't have to tell them what's under the surface. Just let's get people more shovels. Get those shovels in their hands so they can dig for themselves when they're ready and see what's under the surface because we know they'll eventually come to our side. My God, you are a passionate man right now, aren't you? And I'm really happy <laughs> to see it. And I'm really Thank happy you. that you, you can have a a debate across borders like this with someone who's uh, who, who is, uh, I, I admit, I admit fully well, I, I think they all look like snakes. But, um, yeah. but you, what you're speaking of is hope uh, that you can have common sense, pragmatic solutions. Now, if I want um, a, uh, a politician empowered to do something, it's pragmatic and it's solving problems that's what that's what i want to see uh, can you tell people where they can find you or find what you want them to see right now yes absolutely so i'm on twitter and it's real easy it's jfrat i go by jfrat and and in all of the investigations i've been down i've known a lot of people that go by anonymous monikers and i know i'm the weirdo out there i, I have my real name uh putting it on the line jfrat on twitter at jfrat the conservative hippie podcast is my podcast. It's the conservative hippie.com. The candidate that I'm dedicated my life at this point to, to working in this campaign, to pushing forward, um, to have a voice. He's well qualified. His name is Eric John Burner. It's spelt B O E R N E R. So if you're going to search, you're going to search Eric, E-R-I-C, John, J-O-N, Berner, B-O-E-R-N-E-R. -E uh, not the easiest uh, phonetically to hear and then discover. Um, and his website is ericburner.com. Um, that's the campaign website. We would appreciate any support that we can get. And if you are a highly capable person in the United States that wants to assist in this mission, please go to ericburner.com and put your information in. It'll go right to me. Um, the website as of today even has my telephone number on it. Watch, watch out. Real people with real contacts willing to answer the phone. Um, the other way that you can reach me, um, the best way, uh, you know, I, I am addicted to it. I, I, I think about Twitter a lot. Uh, I wish that I could put it down more. It scares me. But it is a form of communication. Um, I don't. I. I. What I dis, What disappoints me about Twitter, and I think you'll agree with this, Johnny, is people don't realize how few people are on Twitter, and yet how important it is to this mainstream um, feed and zeitgeist. And it's. It is scary because I think that that means it's more manipulated, and it's less about the public and yet it's presented as if the public it's always used as a polling mechanism of what the public thinks um the only reason i got on twitter was because every time i would read something every time i'd see something on television all of their content was basically found on twitter mm -hmm. so i said okay i got to get on twitter because that's clearly the only place they're pulling information yeah, yeah, from yeah the aggregation um, of it yeah and then uh, eric john burner um, I'd have to think about this for one second, but I believe it's Eric John Burner one um, is his at handle on Twitter. But I would imagine you are going to have some sort of show notes. Yeah, I will have some sort of show notes to be sure. So I will, 
I will I will DM you uh, three links. How about that? Awesome. Well, I, well, I'll, I'll add in probably a few more because I like. Okay, to but we did we did leave some things on the table that I wanted to talk about. Um, is that is the fusion energy angle? You know, it's 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 wildly fascinating. It's here. It's coming, and I'm worried. I'm worried that Eric John Burner is the only presidential candidate talking about it that has a plan for it because I'm worried that you're talking about deep history of our country, of our globe. I'm worried that it's the type of technology that could be hidden away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there's been a few of those I hear in history, but some of it I don't even know if it's true. Were there water-powered yeah. cars? Were there not water-powered cars? I do not know. Uh, Did Tesla we... have amazing electricity or was it Edison the whole time? Yeah, yeah. Well, we one day maybe we'll find out. One day maybe the 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 Twitter files will be released on all those subjects. <laughs> <laughs> the Twitter files, <laughs> the uh, the Twitter files on all of uh, Tesla, the real Nikola Tesla stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah. I think I think we'd have to we'd have to get to uh, uh, Trump's uncle um, to get those files. Oh God, yes, right. Okay, okay. Isn't he the one that went and uh, picked through? All of the remain all of uh, um, Nikola Tesla's uh, documents and inventions. I did not know this, but now you. No, you did. did, did you tr- Trump's what? What uncle is it? Trump's tr- uncle Trump's Fred. Un- Let's see. Trump's uncle. But his dad was Fred, uh, I think. Got okay. Then uh, John, his uh, ah! his uh, physicist, his physicist uh, uncle. Oh well, he's got to be a good one if his name was John. I mean, not everybody you related to to these characters are bad, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> though, okay. though history would tell you otherwise. <laughs> John, a- MIT professor and esteemed electrical engineer John G. Trump. Oh wow! Okay, well, listen, I so, tell you what, so, so, I'll go and have a little look at that and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's, it, it's it. I think you. That's funny. You you dig so far down into the rabbit hole and get going on all these characters that I now caught you. You somehow missed this shallow artifact. Uh, yeah. You're so far deep deep down in the hole. I'm in weird holes though. In uh, usually in the 40s and 50s. I I, I don't know why I go down them. They just <laughs> they they're extremely uh, attractive to me. What can I say? Um, thanks for coming on today. And uh, and I hope uh, I hope that everything works out perfectly, and Eric John Burner becomes the president of the United States of America, and you can, you know, I don't know what you'd be at this point. What what, what you, you you'd still be his campaign know. manager, or you'd be he, made uh, made like Führer. He talks <laughs> He talks. He talks chief of staff. I have no idea. Let's yeah, let's just beautiful. see in the future. Yeah, he's smoozing you. Be careful, Jay. He's smoozing you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, just remember, I'm a volunteer, and I've said this in Iowa. I actually, uh, I had to shout down somebody that was a bit raucous, um, and I let them know that I can say anything I want. I'm a volunteer. I don't, um, I'm not, uh, I'm not beholden or captured by anything. And that's what I appreciate about him is, uh, is he's not just going around throwing a bunch of money out. Uh, He actually has true ideals true integrity and a true vision uh, for the country. Beautiful thing to end on. Thank you.